Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church. Uh, let me begin by saying, while we cannot gather physically, our ministries are adapting very well to the changes. Uh, thanks to technology, some of our groups are meeting together online. Uh, we have new community groups starting. I heard the response that the online alpha course has been great. And besides, we keep hearing about creative ways in which uh, members of our congregation are reaching out to people in their neighborhoods and sharing Christ. So we have lots to celebrate, and we are proud of you for shining the light of Jesus in these difficult times. And we're truly thankful for your support of the vision and mission of CSE. Last weekend, we began a new sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew called, Thy Kingdom Come. When Jesus started his ministry, he announced the grand arrival of his kingdom. Like an invasion, God's kingdom has arrived and is taking ground back from the enemy by defeating all opposing forces. Now, last weekend, we also talked about the already and not yet dimensions of God's kingdom. Oh, we live in this tension. On the one hand, we have the kingdom of God here in our midst. It is a present spiritual reality. On the other hand, we await the consummation of God's kingdom when Jesus returns to make all things right. Well, the good news is God has acted decisively in Christ. And we see powerful signs of the kingdom in our midst today. Our calling and mandate as Christians is to pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. The fall of Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. A sin affected not only the human race, but all of God's creation. The whole earth lies in bondage to decay because of the curse of the fall. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, all of creation groans, waiting for liberation, restoration, and renewal. The created world, tarnished by sin, has lost its balance and wavered from God's original intent. As a result, now and then we have the forces of nature spiraling out of control. They deviate from the predictable pattern. Therefore, we have tornadoes and earthquakes, volcanic eruptions and floods, tsunamis and cyclones. And there's nothing like the fury of nature. As humans, we feel small, insignificant, helpless in the face of strong natural calamities. In a matter of seconds, they can destroy thousands and thousands of lives. Have you ever wondered, is there anyone who can exercise authority over nature and bring peace and calm? We're going to look at a familiar text that once again puts the spotlight on Jesus' authority. Even the forces of nature are subject to him. 
if Jesus can exercise authority over nature, surely he has authority over our lives as well. But wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Do you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for the relevance of your word, that your inspired word speaks to us in a time such as this. We know that there is a storm that's all around us, and we also believe in the authority of Jesus and in his power to calm the storm. So would you come and speak to us even now? Minister your word in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Lifeway Research conducted a survey about suffering and faith in God. And people were asked, how do you feel about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? 33% said, I trust God more. Nearly 60% of survey respondents said that at the very least, their interest in God increases when a natural disaster happens. But whether we are faced with natural calamities or we sense a storm brewing in our own little private world, Storms have the ability to focus our attention on God. We learn much about the character of God during these times of disruptions. History tells us that during turbulent times, many people come to faith in Christ, and those who are Christians mature significantly. The disciples of Jesus faced a real storm that threatened their very existence. And through this experience, they learned something about the character of Christ. They came to the staggering realization that the rabbi that they were following was no ordinary teacher. He had authority over the forces of nature. Even the wind and the waves bowed down before him. Let's look at the opening verse of our text, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. The word followed there, interestingly, is the same word for discipleship. The boat that they were in was a common fishing boat. 
that would just about hold Jesus and his 12 disciples. Now pay attention to what the text is saying here. The disciples were following Jesus. They were doing precisely what Jesus had asked of them to get into the boat. Mark chapter 4 offers a parallel passage that speaks about the same incident. And there Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. What that means is the storm wasn't because of the disciples' disobedience. This was not an act of punishment like in the case of Jonah. The disciples encountered the storm precisely because they were obedient to the words of Jesus. Sometimes we also encounter storms in life, even if we are right smack dab in the center of God's will for our life. They're meant to test our faith. Verse 24 says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The word suddenly there tells us that all of this happened unexpectedly, without warning. Even though this is called the Sea of Galilee, in reality it is a freshwater lake. The geographic location of the Sea of Galilee made it susceptible to sudden violent storms. And when that happens, the waves can rise close to 10 feet tall, the lake would turn treacherous. Now keep in mind, the disciples of Jesus were expert fishermen. They had the experience and the skill to navigate through regular storms. But this particular one was unlike any they had ever witnessed. The word Matthew uses for the storm is literally an earthquake. It was no ordinary storm. It was so fierce that the waves started sweeping over the boat and they were in danger of being swamped. An experienced fisherman knew this was serious. Their lives were on the line. And ironically, as the boat is just being tossed about, we find an interesting detail. Jesus was sleeping. Now, you may wonder, how can anyone possibly sleep through a storm with thunder and lightning, waves up to 10 feet tall, cold winds blowing with such intensity, water filling up the boat, and add to all that there were 12 frantic men. A talk about chaos, and yet Jesus slept like a log. Disciples thought this was indifference on the part of Jesus. They were upset that Jesus was unconcerned about their situation. Look at verse 25, the response of the disciples. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. The word drown can be translated as perish. So realizing death was imminent, the disciples woke Jesus from his deep sleep. Mark's gospel 
expresses the deep disappointment in the voice of the disciples. Look at Mark 4, verse 38. There it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You get that from how it is phrased, the deep disappointment. How could you not care for us when something is about to destroy our life? Well, that in reality doesn't paint the true picture because in the Old Testament, sleeping is a demonstration of trust in God. You don't have to lose sleep when you're confident that your life is safe in God's hands. So if you doze off during the sermon, here is your excuse. I'm not sleeping. I'm just resting in my confidence in God. Now hear me. No crisis is a threat when you are in the center of God's will for your life. Jesus had a deep trust, unshakable confidence that their boats was not in the mercy of the wind and the waves, but it was in the capable hands of his Abba Father. And that realization helped Jesus to rest. And it's the same realization that helps us to rest today. Or in the world that we live in right now, it feels like the COVID-19 crisis is a storm that has come upon us suddenly, unexpectedly, without any warning. The storm that has been raging for days has turned into weeks and may very well last for months. And we wonder, where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? Is he taking a long nap, a deep siesta, why is Jesus indifferent to our plight? Now, I want you to know Jesus is not being apathetic, nor is he surprised by what has transpired. Rather, he is using this storm to deepen our faith and walk with God. There are some spiritual lessons we all can learn only by going through a storm. A storm is something you cannot control. It's a crisis. It's a serious threat. In such times, we realize our own helplessness. And in those moments, God reveals his character and deepens our faith. So when the storm is over, you will be in awe of God who has carried you through. You will worship the Lord like never before because you know very well that you reach the safety of the shore, not by your self-efforts, not because of your navigation skills, but only through his divine help and intervention. The disciples wake Jesus up. They're panicking and questioning his insensitivity to their plight. Now look at what Jesus says here to the disciples, verse 26. He replied, 
you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Little faith is not a reference to the quantity of faith, but the quality of faith. They had faith, but the quality was not up to the mark. Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? The relationship between faith and fear is like a seesaw. When one goes up, the other goes down. See, when you allow your circumstances to affect you and your fear level increases, you will inevitably take your eyes off God and your faith will go down. In the same way, when your faith is strong, vibrant, and grounded in the character of God, fear is uprooted and shown the door. The problem with little faith is its inability to see beyond the surface. Little faith gets easily overwhelmed by the big circumstances of life. And that is a problem with many Christians. They praise God when they are sailing on smooth seas. But the moment life gets rough, their little faith is unable to give them the perspective that's needed. Instead, they start doubting God's promises, God's goodness, God's provision, God's plan for their life. What I find intriguing is while the storm was still raging, Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Now, that would have been far easier to answer if the storm had ceased. But nothing had really changed in their circumstances. The winds were still strong. The waves were still pounding. And Jesus questions why they're afraid. Clearly, Jesus wanted his disciples to deal with their fears in the face of the worst circumstances, not when it's all over. A storm functions like a mirror, and it provides an accurate reflection of what's inside of you, fear or faith. Every crisis presents a divine opportunity to grow your faith and overcome your fears. So take this opportunity now and work on your fears. Grow your faith. Not when this COVID-19 pandemic is over, but now is the time. This is a unique window of opportunity for us to exercise our faith muscles and strengthen them so we become more spiritually mature. Here's the good news. The disciples had weak faith, but Jesus still responded to their cry. Aren't you glad Jesus did not say, you bunch of wimps, work on your faith and then come back to me, I'll calm the storm. No. Jesus accepted whatever faith they had and acted on their behalf. 
Faith as small as a mustard seed can do great exploits in the kingdom. Now the disciples were not ready for what unfolded next. Their human eyes were about to witness a power that was infinite times greater than the storm. Jesus wakes up from his sleep and look at what he does. The first part of verse 26. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Jesus remember, is staring at the brute force of nature. The waves over 10 feet tall were pounding furiously against the boat, striking terror in the hearts of expert fishermen. The icy cold winds just ripped across the lake, tossing the boat. This is nature's fury at its worst. Who can stand against such power. And I want you to notice this. Jesus is not praying. He's not appealing to a higher authority. Rather, Jesus directly addresses the storm. He stands up and rebukes the wind like he is speaking to a child acting out. And lo and behold, The wind and the waves obeyed the voice of the one who had authority over them. And this howling storm and strong winds instantly died down, as did the waves. And everything became quiet and peaceful. The water became as smooth as glass. There was not even a semblance of the storm anymore. It was completely calm. Now scientifically, even if the winds were to stop, normally the waves will keep pounding for hours after a storm. But in this instance, Millions of horsepower of wind force was halted, and millions of gallons of violent water turned placid. Now look at the reaction of the disciples who witnessed this unbelievable spectacle. Verse 27. The men were amazed and asked a great question. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Last week, we looked at Jesus being amazed. Now it is the disciples' turn. In fact, Mark's gospel tells us they were afraid. They were petrified at what they witnessed. Here's the question. Why were they so amazed. Why did they react in fear? See, the disciples were Jewish and they knew the Old Testament really, really well. The Jewish writings portrayed the sea as wild, chaotic, and threatening. The Jewish people in the Old Testament were not seafarers. 
And that's why stories about the sea in the Old Testament tend to have a dark connotation. The idea of a beach vacation may appeal to you and me, but it didn't appeal to the Jews. Israel stood before the unwelcoming Red Sea that threatened their survival as a nation. Jonah almost drowned in the sea and got swallowed by a fish. The Jews believed the sea needs to be controlled and only God is big enough to do that. Here's an interesting tidbit from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where the apostle John gives us a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new earth. Look at Revelation 21 verse 1, where John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now you would ask, why is there no sea in the new earth? And we would rather, like say, I wish we had the ocean, but not the Jews. They would go, hallelujah. That is a sign of the defeat of evil. Now let me show you a psalm that has a great correlation to our gospel text. Let me read to you Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired heaven. That's Psalm 107. So what happened to these sailors in the psalm? They were caught in a terrible storm. The waves were high. They were afraid. And they cried out to the Lord to save them. And the Lord responded. How? By calming the storm to a whisper. He hushed the waves. The people in the Old Testament times knew one person ruled over the sea, and that is Yahweh. And the disciples witnessed this incident of Jesus calming the storm in the same way as described of God. Their response is not, wow, look at our buddy Jesus. Isn't it cool to have such a friend with superpowers? No. They were disoriented. Their knees were wobbly. For they were confronted with the truth that the one in their boat was not a teacher, a rabbi, or a prophet, but they were standing face to face before Yahweh, the living God, the creator and sustainer and the ruler of all nature. And they asked the rhetorical question, what kind of man is this? 
that even the wind and the waves obey him. There's only one answer. It's God. Jesus is the God-man. For like God, he controls the elements of nature. Now think about this. The disciples would not have come to this amazing realization but for the storm. One of the reasons God allows difficult situations in our life is so we can see him as we have never seen him before. The storms of life reveal the character of God to us. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of the challenges that you're going through, you come to this amazing realization that Jesus is Lord over the storm. He has power and authority to hush the waves. So here's a question for you to ponder. The one who has absolute authority over the forces of nature. Could he not handle the personal storm that you are going through right now? Maybe today you feel like the disciples, afraid that you're not going to survive this current crisis that we are in globally. You're petrified by the loss of health, job, finances, the stock market collapse, isolation. I want to invite you to come to Jesus and lay down your fears and your burdens at his feet and find rest in his sovereign authority over your life. Receive the peace that only Jesus can give, even though a storm may be raging outside. Wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand right now as a response to what you've heard today. Let's join with our worship team and sing this closing song and proclaim the power and authority that is in the name of Jesus.